thank you for gathering with us this morning. And uh, if you're visiting with us, visiting family for the children's dedication, we're glad you're here. We're thankful that you are visiting with us. If you've been visiting with us, we're, we're glad you're here. Um, thank you for attending this morning as we draw near together. Um, before we uh, dig into the Word, uh, I want to pray and do a couple of things that we try to do every Sunday is pray for another church and pray for our government. Um, so if you will join me in prayer, I'll lead us in that, and then we'll jump into the Word. Father, before we get started on a sermon this morning, we want to stop and recognize that your name is above every name and that you are advancing your kingdom today. We pray you'd give us just what we need for today and that we would seek daily bread today. We also ask that you would and trust that you will govern us and that you are in charge ultimately of city leaders in Greenville and surrounding cities. You are ultimately in charge of the leaders of our state and we trust you and we pray that you would keep peace in this culture so that your kingdom would continue to advance. That's our prayer, that the gospel would keep moving forward, you would keep advancing your kingdom in the hearts of men. And we ask that you would keep peace amongst those that lead us in our cities and state and nation. God, we also pray this morning for First Baptist Church Greenville, specifically Terry Blankenship, their pastor, who is still coming out of a coma, or seeming to, and we're thankful for some good news in the last 24 hours, and we, we, I pray that you would protect the hearts of his family and the hearts of those around him, not to ride the roller coaster of doctor news, but that they would be attentive and remember that you are in charge, you can be trusted, and you are advancing your kingdom and acting for their good. And God, I pray for First Greenville, the, the people of that church who... Um, I don't know what all they're going through as their pastor is in the hospital. I don't know what fears or anxieties they have at this point, but it must be hard on them. And particularly, I want to pray for another pastor in this community besides Terry, and that's Doug Stevens, God. A man who for 19 years has been steady, faithful shepherd, a steady, faithful shepherd in that church to those people amongst some difficult circumstances, and now we're in the middle of another one. I'm thankful for Doug and his wife Lois and their faithful ministry to First Baptist Church and this, this city and this area. He has been a rudder of faithfulness in a storm for that church, many storm after storm. I'm thankful for Doug this morning, and as he continues to shepherd and lead and teach and possibly preach in the next few weeks, I pray that you would remind him of your kingdom. And remind him of what you're doing in and through him and in and through that church. And that you would be just what he needs for today. God, we're thankful for this time. I pray that we'd be attentive and that way we, we would remember and be reminded of things that would keep us focused on your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at a passage this morning, Jesus speaking, 
There's two accounts, Matthew 6, Luke 12. They're very similar, almost identical with one or two exceptions. I may refer back to the Matthew 6 account a couple of times, but we're going to look primarily at the Luke 12 account. Luke chapter 12, verse 22 through 34. I have uh, been looking forward to preaching this sermon for a long time. Um, haven't had opportunity or felt like I had the opportunity or it was time, but now uh, I'm grateful that he has seen fit to lead me to this passage. And um, I don't know if it's good or right, but it's therapeutic for me to preach this message. Um, I was telling some men yesterday, this will be as much testimony as it is exposition of the word today, I hope, and not too much testimony, but... Um, it, this, this passage, this sermon exposes, and it um, is medicine for my besetting sin, a sin, one of them, <laughs> uh, a sin that I have fought with great difficulty for years, um, at different levels and at different intensities, but a sin that I just didn't, you know, sometimes feel like I had victory over, sometimes man, just wondering, what am I ever going to be able to fight this or keep fighting it or win? And it's the sin of anxiety, worry, fretting. And it is a sin, and that's where we have to start to cure it, is to call it what it is, and it is sin because it's not trusting God. So, I don't know how equipped we are at dealing with anxiety. Um, I know that when I'm not anxious and one of you come to me anxious over something that I'm not anxious about, it's like I don't know what to do with you. I don't know what, hug you, pat you on the head. I don't know what to do with my hands. Just, <laughs> you're, you're anxious, but I'm not over something. And so I I know that because I felt it, and I've also seen it in your eyes when I've been anxious about something. Terribly anxious, paralyzing anxiety over something. I've seen it in those around me. <laughs> this, eee. Uh, take Philippians 4 6 and call me in the morning, you know? Or actually, take Philippians 4 6 and don't call me again because I don't know what to do with you. The, do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Just be more thankful and pray more, and don't call me again. And while there is something to that, Jesus gives us more here in this passage, in this Sermon on the Mount. He gives us more than just take Philippians 4, 6 and call me in the morning. I don't want to oversimplify Philippians 4, 6 because that's good and true, but there's more here for us. And dealing with the sin of anxiety and the sin of worry. So let's read Luke chapter 12. We're going to read the passage. Do my best to expose what Jesus is meaning and what he's saying, both. And then have some application for us, I hope. Jesus speaking, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn. Yet God feeds them. 
of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He starts off this passage with a therefore, and you know if you've been here at any time, we have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And so in the context of his sermon, in both the Luke and the Matthew accounts, the context is greed, selfishness, and covetousness. And he has been speaking about that in the passages before. He's been speaking about the greedy. He's been speaking about those that are covetous and selfish and arrogant. And in the Matthew account, uh, don't, don't throw your offering to where it clanks and everybody can hear it. Don't pray in such a way where it looks impressive. Jesus has been, is concerned here about how, what your life puts on display. And he says, in, in some terms, don't be that. Don't do that. Don't be the person that displays this. Don't be the, per- the person that displays that. Trust me, seek me in my kingdom. Okay, so that's the context where he comes to, therefore, in light of that, in light of that, don't worry. Don't be that guy. Don't be filled with anxiety over your life, what you eat, and what you put on. Basically, don't be anxious about your life, don't be anxious about protection, and don't be anxious about provision. Okay? That's, that's generally what he's speaking about here. He's not saying just protection and provision, but he says don't be anxious about your life there in 22. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about your journey. Greed, covetousness, selfishness are one of the many seeds and the culprits for our anxiety. Greed, selfishness, and covetousness are the seeds and the culprit for our anxiety. Greed can't get enough Worry won't ever have enough. Let me move this up a little bit. Is that better? Okay, thanks, Cody. Greed can't get enough. Worry won't ever have enough. I want you to hear that based on the context of what Jesus is speaking about. Worry can never have enough, and so you've got to get more so that you won't worry. And what he'll go on to say in a minute is that's what unbelievers do, not what believers do. He's not just talking about protection and provision. He's talking about anxiety over your journey, where you're headed, what you're doing, what's your purpose, what will happen to you. Don't be worried about that. Don't be worried about your life. In verse 23, 
For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. What he's saying is, people, there is something bigger going on than your journey, than your life, than than your provision and your protection as an individual. There's something bigger going on. It's it's bigger than you. I'm I'm up to things that are big. I I am up to some big things, and it's my kingdom that I'm up to. I am advancing a kingdom And your life is more than just what you'll eat and whether you'll have enough next week. It's bigger than that. I'll take care of that. There's something bigger going on than your journey. Something bigger than your needs and something bigger than your work. We talk a lot around here about God's sovereignty. His sovereignty and salvation. We haven't been afraid to tackle words like election, predestination, we, we rest in and enjoy the truths of how, how he is sovereign and in complete control over our salvation and saving us. And so I wonder sometimes, do we trust his sovereignty over our pantry? Trust his sovereignty over our checking account. Trust his sovereignty over the provision for our children. Trust his sovereignty over our possessions. Or do we just say in corporate worship, we trust you that you're a good savior, but you really don't know what I need. These truths that we've been learning in Hebrews about a good God, a better high priest, a better lamb, better blood, better covenant, better adoption are all wonderfully equipping and they should show us, according to Jesus here, they should be showing us that our life is to put this on display Not just say we trust him, but on Monday, act like we really do trust him. Act like we really do trust him. Not just say it, but he is good. He is better. We have a wonderful story. We have a wonderful good shepherd. Let's act like we trust him. And that's what Jesus starts off here. That's where he's getting. Or or do you have these blinders that kind of what they use on a mule when he's pulling a wagon? where you're, you can only see your journey. You can only think about and be concerned about your journey. You're not thinking about his kingdom. You're not thinking about what he's doing, something bigger than just you. And Jesus says there's something bigger than just your journey, your protection, your provision. There's, take, that, take that off. Look around. There, he's doing big things. And he is up to something. And anxiety lives when we have blinders on and all we look at is our own journey. Our provision, our protection, that's where anxiety camps out. It's when we have those blinders on. We're only thinking about our life. Verse 24 through 28, he talks about plants and animals and how he takes care of them. Look again. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. These birds don't take part in agriculture. They don't work for their food. Now you can say, well, we're not birds. We have to work for our food. But they don't have to, and they still get taken care of. You are more valuable than animals that he cares for who don't even engage in work. Plants don't worry. They can't even make clothes. But God takes care of them. We are careful to preach a Christ-centered gospel. We talk about how Jesus is the center of the story, that God is the gospel. We talk a lot about how 
This story, this salvation is not solely about you. You are not the central theme of the gospel. And I am not the central theme of the gospel. But in that, have, how long has it been since you've considered this? That you are more valuable to him. More valuable to him than any other created thing. You are more valuable. Corporately and individually, as a believer, you are more valuable to him. In the Greek, this means, this, this valuable to him literally means he's mindful of you and your interests. He, you're on his mind. He's paying attention. He knows what you need. He cares. You're valuable. Now, your value isn't rest in who you are. It rests in who he is, but he cares. And you're valuable to him. More valuable than any other created thing. In verse 25, sandwiched in between the ravens and the flowers. He has this humbling, kind of a condescending statement that I love when Jesus talks like this. In verse 25, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? He's being condescending there. He's saying... Remember who you are? He's saying, if, if somebody were to say, hey, I figured out how to add time to my life. I have the power. I don't know where that power comes from, but just say you had the power. I have the power to add on to my life. I can add an hour, a day, or a week to my life. I've got that power. Jesus says, well, if you could do that, that's really not that big of a deal. I mean, if you, nobody can, but if you could do that, so, <laughs> that's what Jesus said. It's such a small thing if you could even do that. If you could even accomplish something like that, that's, Jesus said, that's not a big deal. But you can't, and you don't accomplish anything with worry, with fretting, and anxiety. You think you do. You think that by worrying, you'll f- accomplish something about your life, or being concerned and fretting, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. There's this humbling statement that he is assaulting our arrogance because that is also where our worry comes from. It comes from our arrogance. Our arrogance over the future. Remember James 4, 13 through 16? You'll remember it when I read it. You can turn there if you'd like. James 4, 13 through 16. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such such and such a town and we will spend a year there. We will trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and such boasting is evil so this worry and concern and planning uh, with our hand to it tightly is arrogance and we would do well we would do well for this to come off our lips more if it's the Lord's will another way of saying that if it advances his kingdom it'll happen if it advances his kingdom We'll do it. If it's his will, because his will is to advance his kingdom. 
So we take our arrogance down. We humble ourselves. If you could do anything by worrying, if you thought that could add anything, it can't. You don't accomplish anything by worrying. Let's humble ourselves. It sounds like what, what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6. Five, chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. It's a humbling statement sandwiched in between great affirmation and care. I care about you. You're valuable. Remember who you are. You can't do anything by worrying. Trust me. Trust me. Peter saying this. Humble yourselves under a God that has a mighty hand that can be trusted. Cast your worry on him. He cares. Don't be arrogant. Humble yourself. He cares for you. This is coming from a guy who when the officers came for his Jesus, he brandishes a sword, right? And cuts off the ear. He's anxious about them taking Jesus away and he acts, Jesus has to clean it up. He's on the water, sees the waves, is anxious, what happens? He sinks. Jesus cleans it up. <laughs> Peter was an anxious dude. When, when Jesus says, uh, I'm going to die, they're going to take me away, and I'm going to die, and, Jesus, and Peter says, over my dead body they will, he's anxious. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. I'm, my kingdom will advance, and your anxieties will not get in the way. My kingdom will advance. This passage here assaults our arrogance. Who are you again? Who am I? And, and, he cares about you. He reiterates again in 29, or right before 29. Oh, you of little faith, do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. He uses the word seek there. Up here he says, don't worry about it. Down here in 29 says, don't seek it. Instead, seek something else. All the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. This all nations means unbelievers. What he's saying here is, unbelievers, people who don't know me, people who don't trust me and don't follow me, they worry about what they're going to eat. They worry about their protection. They worry about their life. That's what unbelievers do. Unbelievers. You hearing that? What is your life putting on display? Is it putting on display that you have a good father that knows what you need? Is it putting on display that he cares? Oh, you have little faith. You say in your heart during corporate worship, trust, I trust you that you are these things I've learned in Hebrews, but I can't trust and I don't really believe that you care enough about me or value me. And number two, I don't know that you really know what I need. That's what we say when we're anxious. That's what we say when we worry. I I don't really believe that you care. And I don't really believe that you know what I need. That's why anxiety is a sin. Seek his kingdom. Look at that, verse 31. Instead, instead of worry, instead of arrogance... Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Know that he loves you and cares for you. Seek his kingdom and this stuff will be taken care of. 
I don't have, and I don't know that there is, a really real complicated academic answer for what it means to seek his kingdom. I, I don't know that I have that for you. There may be one. I don't think there is. Most of what Jesus is talking about here, most of what happens when we worry and, and we're anxious has to do with our mind. It's how we're thinking, what we're thinking on. And when he says, seek my kingdom, what he's saying is, think about what I'm up to. Think about the kingdom that's advancing. Think about the kingdom that is coming, that has come and is continuing to come. Think about what's going on through the church. Think about that more than you think about your life. Seek that. He taught us this in the Lord's Prayer. Turn back a page or two to Luke 11. I want you to see this. Luke chapter 11, 2 and 3. He taught us this in the Lord's Prayer. This is why he tells us, pray like this. Keep this in front of your mind when you're praying. Keep this in front of your mind. Keep this in front of you. As you pray, pray like this. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. Father, hallowed be your name. Your name is greater than anything I will face. This is a great starter prayer for the morning. If you don't have one and you want one, you can use it. You can steal it. He won't care. You can just copy it and pray it every morning. It's a great morning starter. And it, use your own language. Father, your name is bigger and greater than anything I will face today. Okay, start there. Advance your kingdom in the hearts of men in every way that you use me today. Job, parenting, driving, shopping, advance your kingdom through it. Let your kingdom keep coming. That's what I'm thinking about. You're up to something bigger than just my life. And thirdly, give me just what I need today. Give me daily bread. We don't have, I don't have, a good reference point for what daily bread is. Have, have any of you ever been to Costco? Daily bread? We load a Suburban up for 14 days worth when we go. I mean, the whole mindset of getting, hey, just give me what I need for today, I think it's lost on us sometimes. And Jesus says, pray for this. Recognize that he's bigger than anything you'll face. Recognize, when you pray, recognize that his kingdom is coming. Pray for it to come. Pray for your involvement and its advancement. And do this. Pray for just what you need for today. And don't worry about tomorrow. Let's do this one day at a time. And that's how we assault our anxiety. That's, that's one way. Think about his kingdom. Think about what you need just for today. Tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Kingdom eternal focus, something bigger is at stake in your life and in your journey, and you'll be cared for, and you can't change it with worry. He's saying, I care about you more than all the plants and animals. They're cared for well. Trust me and keep my kingdom on your mind. For where your treasure is, in 34, verse 34, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will rest. If you're treasuring the advancement of my kingdom, that's where your heart will be. Now, there's a sister sermon in here on materialism. 
Now, I'm not going to preach, but there is a sister sermon here when he's talking about in verse 34, uh, seek not treasure. He does that in this passage before of your treasure being in heaven and not on earth. But I preached that eight years ago. We won't go there today. But there is a sister sermon here on that. He says in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Now, two things are going on here. He is preparing these disciples for a journey, for a mission. This mission of advancing his kingdom, you're not going to need to pack very heavy. Okay? Don't, don't attach yourself to much. Now, specifically, he is literally telling them that. Sell what you don't need and let's go. We'll be taken care of. I'm going to send you out. The church will begin. The Spirit will come. You're not going to need much for your journey. And so there is a lesson for us in that corporately, a corporate reality for us that living lean is a good idea when we're advancing the kingdom. Okay? That's where that sister sermon is. Living lean is a good idea. But more than that, what Jesus is helping us with corporately here is loosen your grip on your money. Loosen your grip on your possessions. Uh, loosen, loosen your grip on your plans. Loosen your grip on your life. Trust me. Loosen your grip on your kiddos. Loosen your grip. If, if something is causing you anxiety and worry, look how tight you're holding it. Look how tight you're grasping it. He says, oh, little flock, fear not. <laughs> Verse 32, fear not, little flock. A term of endearment and the fact that there weren't that many of them. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. He will give you himself. He will show you his kingdom if you seek it. You'll get to see it. You'll get to know it. Sell your possessions. I want to move into just a little application here on what we loosen our grip on. And I want to address a couple of things that might be helpful. I, I'm not going to start in on the bashing of our possessions, okay? Uh, the boats and campers and hobbies I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here, and so I don't think that's what we need to do. But I do want to say, anytime you're viewing your possessions, you have to remember his kingdom. And in his kingdom, birds do not mess on your new car because it doesn't matter. Here in this life, moths will destroy it. People steal stuff. People are going to rob you. Some of you have been robbed, and you know how that feels. The anxiety, the worry, the tension. That, that's what's going to happen here, but not in his kingdom. So when it comes to possessions, caring for them, maintaining them, even purchasing them, ask this question, how is this possession going to advance his kingdom? How is this boat, camper, car going to advance it? How is this job going to be a part of advancing his kingdom. I just saw on Facebook just uh, one of the small groups went out to Bob Sandlin camping this weekend. That was kingdom advancing work with camping gear you know, and tents and stuff you had to buy to take to do that. I mean, Jesus even told John, take care of Mary. He's not saying uh, sell everything or then we'd all be paupers and we'd be 
codependency everywhere. So what Jesus is saying is, just be careful. Loosen your grip. If, if it worries you that a bird misses on the hood of your new car, loosen your grip on the car, dude. It's okay. That's, that happens here. Moths destroy. Rust happens. Maintenance takes place. And if your stuff is causing you anxiety, whoa, back off. Loosen the grip. And I want to talk about our anxiety over our kids and our family. This is where a lot of my anxiety has come from. Our kids and our family. And appropriately that we're going to dedicate our children today. Brian Kaplan is an economics professor at George Mason. I don't know if he's a believer, but he has some interesting insight into, uh, in his book, Selfish Reasons to Have More Kids. He, he makes some, some interesting points about how much we think. Now, remember the arrogance? So we'll, we'll go over here this day and we'll go over here that day. My kids will turn out this way and I'll do this for them. And we kind of think that we are playing a bigger role and who our kids are becoming than is really happening. Now, we could argue that all day long, but he makes some good points and he has a great survey that he conducted. But parents make their work more difficult than it has to be because they overestimate how much depends on them for the future well-being of their children. In a survey of 1,000 children, grades 3 through 12, these students never once complained about not getting to do enough stuff or have enough toys, or really, and nobody complained that their parents didn't spend enough time with them. The number one complaint from 1,000 children, grades 3 through 12, was, my parents are always stressed out and they're always worried. Now, that's a survey disconnected from here, but I'll bet it hits pretty close to home. Kevin DeYoung is a a pastor that I trust, that I follow, I listen to, I read. We, we all do. Uh, several of us have read some of his books. And he says in his book, Crazy Busy, and the chapter is entitled, Stop Freaking Out About Your Kids. He says this. It used to be, as far as I can tell, that Christian parents tried to feed their kids, clothe them, teach them about Jesus, and keep them away from explosives. Kids are safer than they've ever been, but parental anxiety is skyrocketing. Kids have more options and more opportunities, but parents have more worry and more hassle. We live in an age where future happiness and success of our children trumps everything. You are going to parent imperfectly. Your children will eventually make their own choices, and God will mysteriously and wondrously use it all to advance his kingdom. They will remember your character before they remember your rules about television and Twinkies. Stop freaking out about your kids. Now, I remember um, back before we had children, I would fly internationally. I, I did that more then, but there's other reasons for that. But I, I was especially flying a lot for IGO, going overseas probably a couple times a year. And it hit me after, we, after Lily was born, when I got that uh, flight itinerary in the mail, I was just rushed with anxiety. I thought, I, I have a child. How can I go overseas to a potentially dangerous country? How can I do that? I, I can't. What, what if something happens to me? What, I got a baby at home. And I'm just filled with anxiety. And that was my arrogance, thinking that God didn't have this under control. 
And then Hank came along, and my main anxiety was, how in the world are we going to pay for two sets of diapers? I mean, we're barely feeding ourselves. And that sounds funny now, but that really put me on the floor in the fetal position. I am not kidding you. It worried me. How are we going to sustain a family? How are we going to feed them? How are we going to put diapers on them? How are we going to provide? And I wasn't trusting him. And then it hit me yesterday as I'm reading this. Are my kids, am I, the character, am I putting on display? Remember Jesus is concerned about how, what we put on display are not if, but when I die. Hear that. Not if, but when I die, early or late, whatever I think that is. Will my kids trust him? Because they never saw me worry? Or will they be anxious because I was always anxious? What am I putting on display for my kids? And then you get the international ticket in the mail and you can go anywhere when you trust him. You can be faithful to advance his kingdom and be a part of any risky movement if we trust him with our kids. Because why? Because he cares and you're valuable, and he's mindful of you. And he will take care. And you can put your hand to advancing his kingdom no matter the risk. Loosen the grip. Church, don't be anxious. He cares about you. You're more valuable to him than any other created thing. Don't be arrogant regarding your journey, your money, your kids. You can't help out or accomplish anything with your anxiety. Oh, you of little faith, oh, me of little faith, trust him. Keep his kingdom in the front of your mind. Fear not and loosen your grip. We're going to take the supper now. And um, as we do, I want us to consider where we are as a people and as parents and as those that help families with children and families that deal with money and jobs all the time, I want us to consider a passage that I'll share with you here in just a second. But I want us to uh, distribute the elements, and then I'll share this passage with you in just a minute. Let's, uh, let's distribute the elements first. When I say, or when I'm talking about, stop freaking out about your kids, stop freaking out about your money, please hear me say, please hear what Jesus is saying here is um, detach. You know, I almost wanted to use Let It Go, but I can't because of the Frozen movie. <laughs> Just, let, I'm not saying don't shepherd well. That's the theme here in our church. Healthy families, healthy church. That shepherd diligently. But remember who you are, and remember what you can and can't do. And remember who he is and what he can do. Remember his kingdom, and loosen your grip there. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus has just declared woe to these cities that saw his mighty works and then didn't repent. And he said it will be worse for them than Sodom and Gomorrah. So these people knew who he was, saw his mighty works, and they still didn't repent and still didn't trust him. He said it would be worse for them than Sodom and Gomorrah. We come to this supper today repenting of our anxieties and our arrogance. Will you do that with me? Will you repent of your anxieties and your arrogance today with me 
and let's trust and rest him. He goes on to say, at that time, once he, woe to the cities, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All these things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my kingdom upon you. Seek my kingdom and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He can be trusted. Let's take and eat and trust him. Seek his kingdom. Take and drink. I'm going to have these families come up in just a moment, but I want you to hang tight while I share a passage of scripture first. Um, it'd be easier for you and easier for the body, I think, if you just kind of hang tight right now. It's not a long passage, but just for sake of attentiveness. I enjoy when something's really straightforward and something just appropriate reality and then an appropriate response. And that's what this is. Listen to this passage from the book of John, chapter 21. This at this point, Christ has risen. He has revealed himself to some. Simon Peter still in the ditch. He has denied Christ and really hasn't had an opportunity to reconcile with Christ. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples, though, came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land... They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. A few years ago, we finished up the book of John, landed there in that last chapter. And one of the things that we really enjoyed together as a church that's just so straightforward is that forgiven folk who love Jesus feed his sheep and tend his lambs. It's what we do. And in a lot of ways with little ones, there's no more beautiful picture of in response to your forgiveness and your love for Jesus tending to little ones than what we have a chance to do as a church body with the manifold new little ones that we have from year to year. I don't know how many dedications we've had in 10 years, but it seems like it's like they're outnumbering us, which I love it. It's evangelism at its finest. I love it. Little, tiny little worshipers in the making. Let's have these four families come up and you get to meet some tiny little worshipers. I want, as they come up too, um, I want to share with you, in a lot of ways, this is dedication of these children. Obviously, it's a baby and child dedication, but it's also dedication of you. One of the beauties in sharing that passage is it's an application and an opportunity for you to connect the dots and say, well, I, because, sure, this is perfect. Because of my love for Jesus, because he has forgiven me, then I want to tend to little ones. And here are some little ones that you get to see up here. And some of them you'll meet maybe for the first time this morning. You get to do that as a parent. We're hoping these parents will do that, that it'll be fueled by worship and not fueled by anxiety. Beautiful connection this morning. Not fueled by anxiety, not fueled by duty, but fueled by a love for Jesus. But that also applies to you. You're being dedicated this morning as well, Cross Point Fellowship. You're being dedicated to be spent because of your love for Jesus, because of your forgiveness, to tend to little sheep and little lambs. And you get to meet some of those this morning for the first time. You'll do it as you minister in the nursery. You'll do it maybe as some of you who teach on Wednesday nights. That's what compelled me. This chapter is what compelled me to say, I'm going to commit to Wednesday nights teaching fifth and sixth graders. It's straight away. You hear it. You want to respond to it. What a beautiful way to do it. God, I first want to pray for the parents, for Colton and Caroline, for Brandon and John and Laura, and for Cody and Gwen. Lord, I pray that you would guard them from anxiety. I pray that their parenting would be fueled by forgiveness and love for Jesus. I pray they would be fueled by worship. I pray they would be fueled by faith. I pray that they would be equipped for those things every time we gather And they would see a direct connection between sermons, Bible studies, small group gatherings, and parenting and loving their children well. Lord, too, I pray for these parents for an attentiveness to the body where these kids will see that they're part of a people and that they're part of something. And from their earliest days, before we even really think they're connecting any dots, that they see that they're part of a family. And it's a large family with all kind of folks, all different kind of ages, all different kind of backgrounds, but all who share a deep love for the Lord. Lord, I pray for Colton and Brandon and John and Cody especially, as a shepherd myself. I pray for these men for a deep, a deep trust in the Lord. I pray for these men for a special ownership 
and responsibility as a shepherd of their family. Gentle love for their family and gentle shepherding and gentle care that's fueled by worship. Lord, I'm thankful for the opportunity to lift up these families and now to pray for each of these kids individually, for Everett, for Jackson, for Ella, and for Zachariah. Lord, I pray for true and rich and early worship. What a sweet, sweet privilege to have little plots of soil that you've given us stewardship with opportunities and stewardship with a life-altering, life-giving message. Lord, I pray that'll take place in kitchens, in dens, in classrooms, in this room, in small group gatherings. I pray that they'll find purchase and connection with rich, life-giving seed hitting fertile soil. Lord, I pray for each of these kids that they'll love you early and forever. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all stand, and I'm going to have a little benediction that connects to where we are this morning in this dedication. And I want to ask you, let these, if you would, come up and meet these families. If you don't know them already, meet their kids and um, come up and just spend a few minutes with them after we uh, dismiss. And if y'all can hang tight just for a few minutes, let, let folks come meet you and your, and your kids. This is from Psalm 144. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Amen. Y'all have a great week. Come meet these folks.